Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I'm Kate Spencer. And I'm Dori Shafrir. And we are not experts. We're not. We're two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. And look, if you sense a little pep in my voice, it's because I just revealed to Dori before we started recording that I don't really wash my retainer. And Dori was, Dori's upset. (sighs) I just like don't even... (laughs) know how to process this how are you not like my retainer would smell bad like how are you not i rinse it okay but like there's never any like weird buildup on it i just haven't i just didn't know again i I just didn't know i didn't know but now i do i now i do and now i'm gonna do it i am about to turn 44 in july and i've had retainers before and i never knew i was supposed to like clean them Please, nobody get mad at me. This is one of those moments. I'm not mad at you. you, No, not you, like listeners. Oh, no, but I'm also like, how come no one told you this? Like, how come your dentist didn't tell you this? When I got my retainer, they just like handed it off to me. And I just assumed like I could rinse it. I just like rinse it in the sink, in the water, like water. Maybe you have some special non cleaning retainer. No, No, Dory, I don't. It's just like a plastic mouth guard. Okay. All right. Well, I tried. (laughs) Well, look, hey. (laughs) This feels like an important topic we have never discussed in the five years of doing this podcast. So if you have thoughts on retainer care, you better hit us up. 781-591-0390. Leave us a voicemail. Send us a text. Email us at forever35podcast at gmail.com. Let's all adults who wear retainers. Let's go. And look, teens too. Adults, teens, whoever. Let's Let's talk about our retainers. Let's talk about this. Wow. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Kate. Yes. I got a facial yesterday. Well, first of all, yesterday was okay. my birthday. Okay, let's set the scene because I had texted you and I'd been like, "Are you doing any pampering for your birthday?" And you were like, "I'm thinking about it." I was, so- and and I sort of like last minute, like looked up, like could I get a massage somewhere? Like, and I didn't really know where to go, and like a lot of places were obviously booked because it was very last minute, but. I ended up getting a facial. It was a great facial. Um, I'd never gone to this person before. And, you know, with all due respect to facialists, I do feel like a lot of them are often trying to sell you something. We've discussed this before. It's It, it adds a level of anxiety to the facial. Yes. That I hate you more than anything in the world. you never know, like... Are they like, is my skin really that dry? Or are they just trying to get me to like buy this hundred dollar serum that they happen to sell? You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, I do. I do know what you mean. And I have been like this there have been moments in my life where I have like stopped 
getting facials because this would cause me such anxiety at the end of the facial and make it so much more expensive. Like you've budgeted, totally, you know, like totally. you're $150 for the facial. Yes. A thousand percent. Ugh. Okay. So Kate, okay. imagine my surprise when this facialist was like, you have really beautiful skin. And I, mean, I was I'm like, not shocked. I was like, excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) Please repeat that. Come again. (laughs) She said, what do you like? What do you do? And I said, honestly, like, and before I could even get the words out, she was like, you have a really simple routine, don't you? (gasps) Dory. And I said, yeah, I do. I use like, like I use a ton of sunscreen. And at night, I have like a hydrating serum and a moisturizer. And like, that's it. I was like, you know, I went through many years of like over exfoliating, way too much like chemical exfoliation. She's like, yes, people don't understand. Like, you know, that stuff is bad. And and I was like, but real talk, like staying out of the sun is my superpower. And she was like, oh, I wish I had known that. Like she was probably in her... I would say late fifties. Um, and like, she did not stop talking about how great my skin was. Like, <laughs> okay. What a lovely, no, no, no. But this is like, a even lovely when she was doing boost. the extractions. She was like, you never get pimples. Do you? I was like, well, I get some like around my period. And she's like, did you ever? And I was like, well, when I was a teenager, I had like, and you know, it's funny. As I was saying it, I was like, I had pretty bad acne. But then as I was saying it, I was like, did I actually have pretty bad acne? Mm. Or did I just have like hyper focus on my flaws? Oh, Dory. This just got deep. Right? Right? Yes. But I think think it's the latter. I mean, for so many, like we all have... Dysmorph, such dysmorphic totally. relationships with totally. face, body, hair, all of yes. it, right? So we chatted about, and she was like, I'm, I, I mean, I found a couple things to take out. And she was like doing some extractions. She was like, but you really don't have anything to take out. And I was like, okay, great. And then she finished and she was like, you're glowing. And like my, I, I did look, my skin did look good. It looked glowy. It looked healthy. Like, I was just like, you know what? Mm -hmm. It was, I didn't tell her it was my birthday, but it did feel like a real, like, you're 46 and someone just like told you you had really great skin. And I feel like, I don't know, there's some sort of like, I feel like there's some sort of life lesson here. (laughs) (laughs) But what is it? What is the life lesson? (laughs) I think the life lesson, first of all, is like, Hyperfixation on your flaws, on well, I should say for me, hyperfixation on my flaws was very was almost like crippling. I think mm, did not serve you. Did not serve me, and I definitely still will like hyperfixate on certain things. But I am like so much better than I was, mm. and that is just like it's such a like nicer way to live. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. The other thing is, and this is going to be controversial (laughs) on a podcast that started as a podcast about skincare, but 
I, I really don't know that like the vast majority of products, like if you have quote unquote normal skin, like I'm not, ta- I'm not talking about if you have rosacea or melasma or like an actual condition that needs mm-hmm. to be medically treated. I'm not, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about if you have relatively normal quote unquote skin, like you probably don't need the vast majority of products. I mean, I I agree with you. You need to slather on sunscreen and wear a fucking hat every time you leave the house. Okay. You need to wear sunscreen even when you're going to be indoors all day because there's still like shit you can get from your computer screen. Mm -hmm. I have sunscreen on right now. You need to hydrate. Mm -hmm. You need to have like a good, like like a moisturizer that you like, preferably fragrance free. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And you need to get enough sleep and you need to save your money for doing things like lasers. Whoa, you're really coming in hot. I'm you coming in hot. Th- you turned 46 and you formed a strong opinion. I did form about a this. strong opinion about this. You were, you're, you're echoing what Val, Valerie Monroe said to us, right? Like she was basically like, I use basic shit on my face. Yes. And then if I'm going to do something, I do like a professional treatment. Yes. And and I heard her, but I didn't like fully hear her. And now I fully hear her. So I think a retinol is a great, like, I feel like that is a thing that I am going to, I like having in my skincare routine. Well, but, and and if you have a skincare routine you love, then that is wonderful. Keep more it. More power Keep to you. Keep doing it. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. But you I know? just mean like, like, I think like, a vitamin C serum uh, seems to work. But uh, retinol is like pretty proven to be like helpful to skin. Maybe a hyaluronic acid if you need moisture. Everything else is just like, you know, frosting on the cake. It's I, I agree. I agree with you is what I'm saying. I agree with you. Now, I also do want to start like I was looking at this like micro needling experience. I do mm-hmm. want to get it. Now, ultimately, true freedom is not not thinking you need any of this shit. Of course. But I'm going to be very clear. I am not there and I'm probably never going to be there. Yeah. And I want to jab my face with a bunch of tiny little things. <laughs> and maybe then zap it with a laser. You know, I so think I was, I, was, I was talking with another friend about this earlier today and she was like, yes, this is why it's very frustrating to look at like celebrities skin, especially celebrities who like have a skincare line and assume that all they're doing is just like putting some serums and some creams on their face because that's not all they're doing. Like no, they're getting the skin they have through more expensive things. So like, I don't know professional <sighs> treatments with a fancy ass derm it doesn't even have to be a fancy ass well derm. but i mean that's what the celebs are doing oh yes 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 well exactly. this is like and i can't remember if i said this to you or somebody else because all conversations are a blur but it's similar to how like you know gwyneth paltrow can claim like well i don't get botox anymore and it's right. like Right, you don't, right. but like that is, that might be the actual truth. But what you're also not saying is like, but I also do dot, 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 dot. Yes. 
that maybe yes. isn't an, a specific injectable, but we're still there's still a lot going on that uh-huh. is not being portrayed as part of your public image. A thousand percent. Yes. And I think that it is like, it's a privilege to be able to opt out of this stuff. Like it's a privilege yeah. to be able to opt yeah. in, obviously, because uh-huh. it's a financial privilege to be able to opt in. But it's also like pretty privileged to be able to opt out <laughs> or just like, you know, I don't know, getting to the point where you just don't care. There's a there's a line in and I can't find it. There's a line in Elise Who's book. Who was our guest today? Oh, this is such I you know what? Did you intend to be so on topic? I did not, but I was just thinking about this as we were talking, where she overhears her daughters having a conversation and I'm trying to find it and I can't find it. Um but it was basically like like one of her daughters is like well, mom doesn't have to worry about that because she's already pretty. And Elise is like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, this is a lot to kind of like navigate. Wow. Um, I don't know. I just like, I think about that because I think it's it's easy to to just like criticize people for doing Stuff when, like, the fact is we live in a superficial society where, mm-hmm. you know, it's easier to be pretty. I don't know. I didn't mean for this to get so deep today, but maybe that's appropriate because of our guest. I think it's totally appropriate. And I think, you know, also, it's, I think, I think the other thing that I have been thinking a lot about lately is aging and how the opinions I had about lots of things when I was 40, 30, 20 change with every year that I get older. And there is a feeling as I am, you know, I'm in my heading toward my mid forties of like, sometimes it does really feel like my skin is sliding off my face. Like Mm. there is a loss of collagen that is fucking real. And Mm -hmm. as much as I'm like, God, I want to just not care and just let my body do what it, what it will. There's also this, the, the ways in which we do not get to control how our body transforms. Yeah, totally. And how emotional that is. And, for, and this is just talking about your fate like that I know that can that can be that can happen in so many different ways with illness chronic yeah. illness like different diagnoses just again just simple aging hair yeah. loss all this shit mm-hmm. and it is really upsetting so I I have become more gentle I think mm. in my criticism because aging in our current like beauty culture itself is a fucking nightmare. Yes. Adding in the aging part of it. Yes. It's like a tr- double whammy. Totally. Well. <sighs> whew, I'm sweating. <sighs> yeah, I know. I took us there. I'm sorry. No, I, I think these are really good conversations to have. I don't feel like I've fully developed any real like not necessarily opinions, but like, it's such a, it's so personal, right? Like it's so like icky to me in a way, like, because I, 
it's like there's my opinion for the world and then there's how I feel about myself. That mm. <laughs> is like, mm. you know, years of <laughs> like feelings that's hard yeah. to kind of navigate. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> totally. Mm. <sighs> well, Kate, sh- should we introduce our guest? Yeah. Dory, why don't you share their bio? I would love to. Elise, who is a host at large based at NPR West in Culver City, California. And she's the author of Flawless Lessons in Looks and Culture from the K Beauty Capital. Um, and she wrote this book based on her experience in Seoul, where she was for nearly four years, where uh, she was responsible for NPR's coverage of both Korea's and Japan. And before joining NPR, she's one of the founding reporters at the Texas Tribune, a nonprofit digital news startup devoted to politics and public policy. And her work at NPR has earned her a DuPont Columbia Award and a Gracie Award from the Alliance for Women in Media for her video series called Elise Tries. Um, She is brilliant and her book is amazing. Whatever you think you know about K-beauty and just like beauty culture in general, she goes so much deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, it's really, it's really fun to... It's such a great book. It's such a great book. It's so good. All right. Here's Elise. You know, one thing I think is really kind of interesting about skin, my skin, but all skin, is that like, what it needs now in my 40s is not what I needed in my 30s. Totally. Definitely not what I needed in my 20s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like, how are you supposed to know what your skin needs? It's hard. It's hard to know. Especially when there's just like so many products out there. The overwhelm is real. It's a struggle to even know how to get the results you want, what products to start with. This is why we're super excited to partner with Apostrophe. Apostrophe is a prescription skincare company that offers science-backed medications that are clinically proven to help. I have used Apostrophe. I love it. They will pair you with a board-certified dermatologist who literally creates a personalized treatment plan for your skin. I have done this a few times now. It is so easy to do their online consultation. You upload photos. And like within a few weeks, I had done a consultation and received my treatment plan and my product. Amazing. And that is how I became a Tretinoin gal. I love the Tretinoin that they sent me. I love their sunscreen. Both products have been amazing on my skin. And you, Forever 35 listeners, can get a special deal from Apostrophe. You can get your first visit for only $5.00. That's at apostrophe.com slash forever35 when you use our code forever35. Now, that is a savings of $15. I like that. This code is only available to Forever 35 listeners. So to get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash forever35 and click get started. And then use our code forever35 at sign up and you will get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. I am the first to admit that gift giving is not easy for everyone. It's taken me a long time to become like a halfway decent gift giver. But 
what I have learned is that the best way to win the gift giving game is to gift memories. Ooh. And you know how you do that, Kate? I'm I'm ready. I'm listening. The aura digital Mm -hmm. frame Mm -hmm. preloaded with decades of family photos. We have gifted this to many people. And when you gift this, your family will love looking back on childhood memories and seeing what you're up to today. Even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep updating the frame with new photos. So it's really the gift that keeps on giving. It's super easy to set up. It takes literally two minutes. You download the app. You set up the Wi-Fi. Boom. Boom. You're good to go. Yep. We have given this to my parents. We've given Mm -hmm. this to Matt's parents. Mm -hmm. Same, same. It's so easy because you can add photos from the app like anytime you want. And also like my brother has the app so he can add photos from his family. My sister has the app so she can add photos. My parents also have it. So they also add their own photos. That is one of the coolest parts I think of the Aura Frame is that everybody can contribute. Yes. I love that about uh, we have two aura frames in our house i have Ooh. one in my office and yeah and one in our family room and do my they kids have, love do it. they have the same pictures on them no they have different pictures <gasps> Ooh, mm-hmm. oh that's interesting maybe i should get one from my office I'm looking at a picture of my in, children right now right interesting mm-hmm. hmm. putting that away for later store that Yes. Uh, The Aura app lets you share photos more securely than with email, which is what many other digital frames require. And also then you're not taking up your email storage. So win-win. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Forever 35 listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code forever35 at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, look, I don't know about you, but when I hold on to some negative feelings, it really starts to impact my day to day. I get a little snippy and short with the people in my life. Things start to really feel overwhelming. And look, it's just generally not great for me or for the people that I am interacting with. And I do find that my time in therapy is a real safe space to get those things off my chest and figure out how to work on and work through things that are weighing on me Mm. or maybe weighing on you. For example, like I have actually really been working on mindfulness in therapy Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Easier said than done, but that's the work, right? Like just learning about kind of like really creating a breathing practice and paying attention to my physical body and my feelings. Therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and to learn productive coping skills. If you're thinking about trying therapy, Try BetterHelp. It's convenient and accessible anywhere because it is 100% online. All it takes to get started is filling out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you're not vibing with the therapist, you can switch at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Forever35 today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Forever35. I think it's safe to say that we have suffered through bras. We've been uncomfortable in them. We've devoted whole episodes to finding good ones. But I'm here to say enough is enough. 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 
I mean, John Mulally, Dory, have I ever told you, have I ever told you what I did in college when oh. I needed a bra to wear with a fancy dress? What? I cut the top of pantyhose and then I duct taped that to my chest. Oh, that sounds uncomfortable. Because <laughs> I, I didn't have honey love when I was in college. No. Well, we are here to say no more being uncomfortable. With no. Honey, no. With Honey Love's bras, you will wonder why it took so long to make something so comfortable and so supportive. There's no underwire, but through some kind of wonderful magic, they managed to not sacrifice lift. All while making it in a fabric that's so comfortable, you barely know it's there, especially the crossover bra. I wear one of these almost every day. I'm wearing one right now because it's so comfortable and it easily fits into my life. But if you like a breathable and versatile legging, Honey Love has you covered on that front too. Plus, they have tanks, shapewear, and their V-bra that has molded cups still without the underwire to keep you from getting that dreaded uniboob effect other more relaxed bras tend to give you. So treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com slash forever. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash forever. After your purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we send you. Treat yourself to Honey Love because you deserve it. Uh, Elise, welcome to the pod. We're thrilled to have you. you. We loved your book. I mean, we know we loved your book, but Dory had got to blurb your book. So I did. She sure did. Thank you, Dory. You're so welcome. It was truly, it. it was truly my pleasure. Um, you know, I, I, I'm all, well, I'm always like flattered when someone asks me to blurb their books, but sometimes I'm like more excited than others. Let's be honest. <laughs> I was, the blurbing economy is weird. I'm sure you've the talked about this with other authors very, who've been on the show. Yes, it's very weird. We don't need to get into the blurbing weeds, but yes, Should I we did just blurb start, your book. start with a mic check once again? And just since this has been derailed by me talking about blurbs. No, <laughs> no, absolutely no. not. <laughs> I think it's actually, I think it's fascinating. What I, we do want, well, we do want to start asking, start, let me start taking that again. What we do want to start with is the question we ask everybody, which is what is a self-care practice in your own life? And as you may know, it can literally be anything to us. We, we have no parameters. What is your self-care? I drive my ass to K-Town, which sometimes takes 48 minutes. And I'll go get K barbecue and follow it up with a boba, Ooh. usually with a friend, but sometimes I'll do it by myself because mm-hmm. this is how I take care of me. Mm-hmm. And it's part of the reason I really wanted to live in Los Angeles after being a foreign correspondent in Seoul. It was because I could have access to being around a bunch of Korean culture and eat Korean food and the... The K barbecue in LA is comparable, if not better than Seoul. When BTS gets off the plane, they go and eat K barbecue in K town in Los Angeles. And so it's excellent. So something that's kind of indulgent, especially because it does require so much driving for me, Mm. is that I will do this. And I, I sometimes do it multiple times a month. What is your, uh, just for, you know, my own purposes, since we do live in Los Angeles, what is your, I'm like, where are we going here? Is your Korean barbecue? spot of choice it's the same as bts's it's okay. called agashi gopjang okay it is a lunch place it is not fancy no private rooms or anything like that and it's been around for a, a while it closed down during covid and i thought it might not come back 
which actually <laughs> was a real crisis for me. But yeah. it's called Agashi Gopjang. I think it's at Hobart near 6th. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you can check to make sure. Um, I like that one. And then I also, you know, the, the, the faves, Parks, yeah. Chosen Galbi, those sure. are all reliable and great for a group. Yeah. But parks. when I go and dine alone, which is something really, I think as a mom of three children, I really enjoy because there's no chaos. The ubiquity yes. of chaos is around yes. me at all times because I have three young children. Right. But some, so sometimes I'll just, this is why I mean it's self care for me to totally. go and dine alone. Uh, do you wait? Hold on one second. I just have yep, a, yep, yep. A, a BTS question. <laughs> okay, you, then I have a dining alone question. Do you think they get the restaurant closed down before they go? Not in the early days when they were here, but now they have to. They must, right? Like, there's so, no yeah, way. They just when they were here at SoFi doing their week of concerts at SoFi last summer, they got the new steakhouse in K Town called Dado. So now I'm just name dropping Korean Great. barbecue places yep. all Great. over the Love place. It. it was called Dado and Dado closed down or it hadn't even opened yet, but opened just for them. But can you, you imagine to. you're like you eating lunch to. and then <laughs> No, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, there's no yeah. way they could go to K Town in they particular. They can't right. No. They can't go anywhere, but like particularly K Town, and just like show up and have lunch. I mean, like it would, it would be a, a riot. So the city would have to shut down, yes. right? Like we would. I would. Be, my kids would be like in the car, and we would be driving. Yeah, exactly. So sorry to digress once again. We but love this to is digress. Going to be a series of digressions. We love digressions. My good friend in Seoul is a translator, and he translates Korean books to English. And a few months ago, we were texting and he was in Korea and I didn't know why he was up because it would have been 2 a.m. Korea time. And he said, I'm waiting on this New York publisher to sign off on something. I've been waiting on it forever. And I said, on what? And he said, it's heavily embargoed. And I said, don't, don't worry. I keep state secrets. I have State Department secrets. I have DOD secrets. I was a longtime foreign correspondent. I know some stuff and I have never shared them. And he's like, it's bigger than that. And I go, okay, JB. <laughs> I say, JB, um, Jesus Christ himself better be like coming off a plane and then arriving to save us from our sins. If uh, like f- to make this secret worth keeping. And then last week it was announced that he had translated BTS's first book and it's coming out in July. And so then he went back to the old texts and said, see, like I said, it was bigger than Jesus. Wow. Yeah. Bigger than Jesus. So it's coming. BTS is Wow. <sighs> Listen, sugar or Jesus? I know. One or the other. <laughs> One or the other. Uh, I, I wanted to just circle back to the act of eating out alone. Oh, yeah. Sorry. That sounds bad. I want to circle back <laughs> to going out for meals by oneself. because. So I feel like as a, also maybe this is also American where we're so like, we've got to be with other people all the time. But I always kind of grew up thinking like, oh, how sad that person's eating at a restaurant all by themselves. And now as an adult, I am, I can think of no other luxurious act, but I, I feel like I was always conditioned to believe that dining out was this like communal activity that we did, you know, like once a month as a family. And 
it sounds like, and I love going to restaurants alone. I'm so glad you've brought it up on the show. Um, and I'm just curious, and Dory, same to you. Like, did did you all kind of grow up thinking that would that was like a sad thing to eat at a restaurant alone, and now think it's like the greatest thing ever? It's such a delight. Totally. I felt a lot of social anxiety about it. Um, mm. I remember the first time I tried it, I it wasn't until I was in college and I think I was traveling alone or uh, I just wanted to challenge myself to do something I hadn't done before. And it was dining alone because of the same sort of baggage, I think, yeah. or these notions that we normalize around, oh gosh, that person, just the idea of walking up to the host and saying mm, one table one. for one. Yes. Yes. That scared me. Yeah. Totally. That scared me, but now I love it. I consider it an act of self-care and I often bring a book and it's my opportunity to mm. just sit and read and eat a bunch of food and then go get my boba after. Ugh. Just an hour alone with TikTok and like a delicious meal sounds honestly like heaven. Yeah. Try yeah. it for your self-care. <sighs> well, Elise, I mean, we we are really here to talk about your <laughs> wonderful book. <laughs> Flawless Lessons in Looks and Culture from the K-Beauty Capital. I'm reading that from my very own copy right here. Oh, I'm sorry. My dog is barking. He loved the book. Uh, he loved the book. Um, oh, I'm just, that means a lot. Yeah. Um, so he's very picky. <laughs> um, uh, but It's I amazing. Love- your dog is literate, too. <laughs> I know. Isn't I, mean, I feel like dog. you're bearing the lead. He's really special. Ladies. <laughs> That's true. Um, so Kate and I have both read your book, but I'm assuming that most of our listeners have not. So would you mind just kind of starting by giving our listeners a brief background on how you came to live in Seoul? And then I guess this is also sort of like the prelude to how you came to write this book. But yeah. how did you start noticing that beauty culture was so sort of pervasive? Yes. Yeah, so ev- all the listeners of Forever 35 will know what beauty culture is. What I argue in Flawless is that I happen to get plopped into the most extreme beauty culture maybe in the world today. Um, just for those who don't know, I was NPR's sole bureau chief. I founded the bureau there in 2015 when I was like five months pregnant with my second daughter and I had a 16-year-old beagle and two cats and my husband and a toddler who was two years old, I think, at the time. And so I hadn't been to Korea before, not even to change planes at the Incheon airport, but decided I wanted to get out of Washington, D.C. And it had been a lifelong dream to be an international correspondent, to just be, you know, supported by a large and well-funded news organization and getting you overseas, helping with all the bureaucracy and the visas and just the legal hurdles of opening up a bureau. And so in the winter of 2014, I started making trips to Seoul to go kind of look around. And the first visit, um, my first visit to Seoul, I stayed in Myeongdong, which happens to be the makeup mecca, where you could stand on a street corner and it'd be like trick or treat, but for skincare products. You would love it. There were so many samples. <laughs> at, at every store, these store clerks would just stand outside and just yell things at you, like ingre- just yell ingredients at you to try and lure you in. And you'd, you'd be at an etude house 
and then three stalls down, there'd be another Etude House, and then three stalls down, another one. Same thing for Face Shop or Innisfree or Misha and all these brands that you're probably familiar with because they're now huge um, K-beauty brands. And so it was instantly um, noticeable and quite prominent to me that the way that Korea sort of sold itself as a tourist destination was with its K-beauty products. But I think what I didn't understand fully until I lived there longer, I ended up living there for nearly four years and ended up having two more daughters when I lived in Seoul. Um, but what wasn't immediately clear to me was how technology played such a role. Korea invested early in a nationwide broadband infrastructure that the U.S. still lacks. And so you mm. can be down deep in the bowels of the subway and never lose your streaming film, never lose your streaming content at all. And there's a, it's a place with screens just everywhere, screens on the tops of cabs, sc- screens wrapped around buildings. Um, it has the largest LED screen in the world. And so what these screens do is they serve as a transmission device for images constantly. Wow. So I was just getting blasted with images of the ideal Korean woman, the ideal Korean man. And over time, it started, especially there's a difference between the way I look as an Asian American woman um, and a lot of these women in advertisements look. And so over time, that's uh, that kind of disparity when I looked in the mirror became kind became triggering for me of all my old anxieties and bodily angst that I thought that I had largely put away and healed from when I was 20 years old. So it was a lot at once. And that was a long way to get a burger, but hopefully sums up what I was doing in Seoul and how these ideas started percolating. Wow. Oh, over that time, like how did you how did you start to notice? I mean, you you kind of mentioned the way that this started to impact you and bring you back to feelings that you maybe hadn't had uh, in years. Mm-hmm. How did you kind of notice the individual impact that this had on you, like outside of being a journalist, right? Because I feel like oftentimes when we're journalists, um, we're so good at tuning into like the analytical side of things. How did right. it impact you personally? I started being harder on myself. And the way that I looked, right? A lot of people, so, so I write in the book that having freckles in Korea is you might as well have pus eating boils on your face because they're like, ooh, freckles. <laughs> we can do something about that. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. But subsequently, it's not just we can do something about that, but if there is a way to fix this problem, why wouldn't you? Mm. So there was a lot of supply driving demand when it came to aesthetic improvements. Korea is now the world's third largest cosmetics and skincare exporter. But in the cosmetics category, that includes lights and wands and all of this sort of high-tech therapy that you can now buy and just do in your own home. That's all being really largely exported from Korea. If you look at the backs of your boxes, you'll probably see that. So, the solutionism then drove problematizing things. It was sort of like, if you have freckles and we have the tools to fix it, why wouldn't you fix that problem? And it made me feel 
sort sort of more compelled to spend money to do things like that. Mm. So especially like laser hair removal, I had never spent invested any money in that previously. But when I was in Seoul, it was like, oh, it's so cheap, and they do it so well. They are the masters of lasers. Time to go spend a bunch of time getting hair zapped off. And so that's one <laughs> really prime example of how you end up just kind of. You don't even notice, right? Our adherence to beauty culture is so familiar that it's hard to step away and notice it. But um, when it came at me in such sort of jarring ways, I had to notice. I couldn't help but notice. Um, it happened with my size all the time. I am a giant <laughs> in Korea. I'm 5'9". I wear a size 8. And in Korea, that's considered um, plus size. And so I would walk down the streets and shopkeepers would yell things like, large size, large size, right at me. So <laughs> you were aware that you didn't fit in and that I felt sort of unwelcome in the country because I couldn't fit into clothes when I went shopping. Um, there's a chapter that I get into and it should come with a trigger warning because the thinness mm. in Korea is a thinness that is so extreme. I've seen it nowhere else. And, um, or the thinness standard in Korea is so extreme that I've seen it nowhere else on the planet. And the chapter is called free size isn't free because the clothes mm -hmm. come in one size and it's free size and it's equivalent to a U.S. size too. And so you don't, the, ch the clothes don't change to fit you. You have to change to fit the clothes. Mm. And it made me feel sort of unwelcome constantly when I lived there. Could you talk a little bit about just how South Korea became this global beauty superpower? And in your view, what aspects of South Korean culture sort of helped turbocharge this phenomenon? In the 1990s, South Korea decided it needed new engines for economic growth. So it was already pretty giant in manufacturing. So, you know, Hyundai cars and Kia cars. Mm -hmm. And it was already really big in shipping as well. but because South Korea was like, okay, we want to be even better. And we are, this is a little bit before there was a financial crisis at the late 1990s, which also plays a role. But so in the middle of the 1990s, it was just sort of like, let's find new engines of growth. And there were two that they focused on besides the ones where they were already dominant. One was technology infrastructure. So like I talked about, it was sort of broadband everywhere. It was Wi-Fi networks, what eventually became Wi-Fi networks. It was just top IT talent and um, R&D in that space. Then it was also, there was also a government report in 1994 that indicated if South Korea was able to make a blockbuster on the scale of Jurassic Park, that the financial gains of that would equal the manufacturing of more than a million Korean-made cars. So if they just made one big film, oh my gosh. It it was so much so much money could come back at the country. And so that was when South Korea was like we really need to turbocharge the exporting of image and culture. And so a lot more money was put into and this is both on the private side and on the public side. But a lot of private industry making films, producing K-drama, producing K-pop. And K-pop was came out of around this period. And the head of one of the major K-pop agencies, SM, Isuman, who I write about, he formulated this idea of cultural technology 
that that Korea was going to export its culture as if it was a product. And he thought of the exporting of K-pop in a productized kind of way. Um, there is this mythical manual of cultural technology that specifies how much makeup to be worn, what formations that dancers need to stand in, what second in a video they needed to be splashed with rain or splashed with water, because that is what people seem to engage in most. So it was like an early human-driven algorithm. Because now we know algorithms tr- do the eye tracking and track, track our engagement to, sh- to show us more things that we like. Isuman was doing this in the 1990s with the exporting of the OG K-pop groups and OG K-pop videos. And so you can see even from the history that K-pop and Korean pop culture exports were highly visual. They're not just musical products, right? They're also visual products and they're as much visual products as they are art. And as a result, they act as this global running advertisement for images of beautiful Koreans and the ways that they adorn themselves, the way they do their hair, the way they do their makeup, the shape of the, the shapes of their faces, the shapes of their bodies. So it's all sort of wrapped up into the selling of the state. Mm. So we're just going to take a short break and we will be right back. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. How have you seen what started in South Korea, have you seen it kind of played out or excuse me, play out here in the US? Like what is the influence, the impact of South Korea's beauty culture as you see it now here in the States in 2023? I mean, you see it on TikTok as much as I do. It is the multi-step skincare routines. It is the aspirational dewy look or the glowy look that was that was cool back when we were still doing that was cool in Korea back when we were still doing like matte powder or matte finishes, you know? So (laughs) they're like decades ahead of us in terms of (laughs) at least a decade ahead on trends. Now we're seeing it with success perms, men getting more perms that comes completely out of Korea and K-pop culture. Um, Some of the other visual transfers that are influenced by K-pop are like kind of the really sort of, pale face with the pop, the pop of color lip, the really bright lip. 
um, red or pink shadow, like the reddish looking shadow is also mm. a K-pop um, trend that I think you're seeing more and more around the globe. So, and then legs, obviously. <laughs> Korea, 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 there's this whole section that I write about, about how um, Korea flexes its soft power with women's legs and the weaponization of long legs of K-pop idols um, and that there's an ideal ratio for those legs. And we just, as women, we just continue to get fragmentized, right? And broken up and disembodied and broken up into these various parts to try and perfect. And I interrogate that throughout the pages. How have you kind of, well, you just you just touched on this a bit, but like I guess I'm wondering how how have you seen South Korean beauty culture kind of permeate the U.S. and how does it manifest in the U.S. differently than it does in South Korea? Hmm. I think one of the big differences in how it manifests in the U.S. is that we have there's just so much more diversity in the U.S. among mm. our shades and our sizes. And that means that you can kind of pick and choose what aspects of Asian beauty standards or Asian mm. beauty culture that you can choose to participate in. Whereas it's far less of a choice to follow the standards in Korea because 97% of Korea is Koreans. And so you are generally the same size as everyone else. Your hair mm. is generally the same color. Your skin is generally the same sort of base shade. And so there is far less range and diversity to begin with. And so I think that you're working in a much smaller space and far more constrained space. Um, that means that when you don't participate and you opt out of beauty mm -hmm. culture in Korea, then the, the costs are greater. So you're suffering mm -hmm. more for not participating which is what I hear, f hear from, from wow. the feminists that I spoke to, right? I was just actually, it was really moving. I just over the weekend met with about 50 or so of the Korean feminists who took part in this movement called Escape the Corset. Oh, and yeah. they mm. took part in 2018 in essentially a general strike against aesthetic labor. They were like, we've had it. We've had it with all of the... um mandates on how we're supposed to look, but this extended, of course, into how they could occupy space and move about the world and how they were allowed to behave. And so they were just like, you know what? We're crushing our compacts. We're cutting our hair. We're not going to do this like young ingenue look that is desired. Um, we're not going to perform for the male gaze or a technological gaze. So we're a machine-driven perspective. Um, and they paid a price. So a lot of them were uninvited to family gatherings. They are constantly getting bullied by their bosses. Mm. There was one teacher that was speaking to me over the weekend saying like, I look like this. And then I have students asking me why I don't have my hair longer or why I look the way I do and why I don't like spend some time getting ready in the morning because they see me as lazy and incompetent mm. because I don't work on my outsides and my exteriors. So that is the way beauty culture can be so insidious when it becomes a mandate for all of us to do the work to fit in. And then if we don't, there are social and professional costs. The term aesthetic labor is so on the nose and one I feel like I've never really utilized, but is something that is... Uh, 
I mean, that's just, that is exactly what it is, right? Like it's yeah. just labor for aesthetic. Like it, and it's exhausting. I mean, just, I'm saying this individual, you know, just individually. Um, and so hearing about their experience is, I mean, that movement is inspiring, but it's also very fucking hard. Yeah. And, and it's not unique to Korea, right? Yeah. This is mm-hmm. <laughs> one of the things that hopefully comes out by the end of the book is that we are more alike than we are unalike. Yeah. Yes. That I hold up what is essentially a mirror society, mirror society that's just a little bit ahead of us in terms of being influenced by technology. And then it, it has other characteristics that make mm. the beauty culture seem more extreme, like the lack of inherent diversity because, um, it's a nation of all Koreans, but also its technology systems are so much more developed that you are getting, you are getting blasted with more images faster, better, stronger than maybe we are. And as a result, you know, those algorithms are showing us what to look like more often if you're living in Korea. Um, what was I going to say about aesthetic labor? Oh, yes. So once I started thinking about aesthetic labor, like thinking about this work that we do, whether it's mm. shaving, plucking, tweezing, dyeing, you know, skin treatments, all the various things that we have to kind of sometimes research and then go to the appointments or go and buy the products and then apply the products or actually do the plucking, tweezing, waxing, whatever it is. Once I started thinking of it that way, I also thought of it in the spectrum of sort of long tail use of my time, sort of if I start shaving or if my daughter starts shaving at eight instead of age 10, then there's two more years that she's going to be shaving for the rest of her life. Um, and so much of this upkeep is sort of maintenance that once we start, we can't stop. I feel that way about Botox, mm-hmm. which, you know, I, I don't get into sort of individual choices because I feel like I always hate the, um, game and not the player. Like our individual choices actually are a much smaller piece of mm. the larger problem, which is culture. Right. And so I want to keep our eyes on the systems, but I personally don't choose Botox because from what I understand, once you start it, you have to keep going back. Mm-hmm. And I just don't want to go back. <laughs> so I think a lot about labor in those terms. It's like, well, what do you want to do forever? <laughs> yeah. 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 I think that's go ahead, Dory. Well, no, I was just going to say one thing that you, that you talk about a lot in the book is like how so much of, so much of this is done to look like you're not doing anything. Yes. Affecting effortlessness out of effort. Yes. Yeah. Which is like so pernicious and just reminds me of some conversations we've had on our show around like the no makeup makeup look. Yep. And all like you're supposed to do all of this, but not look like you're doing any of it. That trying too hard is kind of frowned upon. Um, and that just also seems like such a dangerous kind of paradigm to have to be a part of. Yeah. Imagine if you went to work and you did a ton of work and then you never got credit for it at all. In fact, they didn't even notice you had to hide that you did any work. You know, like, well, it's really, I mean, it happens a lot, right? And it breeds, it's kind of reminiscent sometimes of like... <laughs> <laughs> dynamic Motherhood? of yeah like child like, care right or, like people yeah. don't household labor household yeah. labor like i you know i will say there are things that my partner does not even realize that i do but if i stop doing them 
suddenly he notices. Uh-huh. It's like, it just reminds me of like those conversations. Yeah. I feel that way. I feel like I've, um, trying, I've, I've been trying to stop doing things precisely because of that. Like I will not pick up random dirty dishes, like mm-hmm. random bowls of yogurt that are left in a bedroom. Mm-hmm. And now I, I will just not pick it up until somebody notices after it starts curdling or spoiling because it's like, no, man, I'm not doing invisible labor. Yeah, I ain't yeah. doing it. Yeah. But yeah, totally. so the makeup, no makeup, there's a term for it in Korean too. It's gyu on gyu and it's decorated, not decorated. And that is mm. also the ideal. So as we get back yeah. to your earlier question about you know, how these ideals are actually global, that's another one of them. It's to do a lot of work, but look like you didn't. And often this is a matter of class. Like you have to have the time Mm. and the freedom and the money to be able to even look decorated, not decorated or makeup, no makeup. Right. And so, because so many of the things that make you seem fresh without makeup are actually more expensive procedures. For example, I'll go and get my, uh, go get eyelash extensions partly. So I don't have to wear makeup. Mm-hmm. And so it does make it seem sort of like, oh, I just got out of bed this morning and I my I look awake and I didn't have to put on any eye makeup. And it's because I spent hundreds of dollars mm-hmm. having mm-hmm. an expert like painstakingly apply extensions to my lashes, right? That is a class thing. That's like that's a privilege that I can afford. And so I don't think that we can ignore those dynamics in um, so many of our beauty routines and then how we present ourselves to each other because it marginalizes people who can't afford it for one, but it keeps the rest of us sort of trying to keep up with the Joneses and anxious and exhausted. Yeah. I find this, I mean, I, I have a similar experience with getting a, a lash lift recently mm-hmm. where I spent a lot of money so that I then would is just that have the perm for the lashes or is it yeah. dying them? It's the perm. Okay. It's the lash perm. But it also reminds me of similarly, like when you hear a celebrity say like, well, I don't get Botox. And then it's like, but how do you look this way? And it's because there's other stuff going on. So it may not be like, you can claim not to get Botox, but that's because you're investing in like $5,000 thermosers or whatever it is. Yes. Like, so it's a very, like nobody can win essentially, right? Like we're all just circling trying to keep up and failing. And I ask myself a lot of these questions and started interrogating this because largely because I have daughters and I think they Mm -hmm. were already being asked questions. My three-year-old in Korea was asked whether she had eyelash extensions. And so this logic of even really young girls having to do work was very galling to me and jaw-dropping. And I thought, gosh, I don't want them... (laughs) To be in on the same hamster wheel. And could we have a more aspirational way to live in which we could feel sort of less bodily angst and shame all the time and feel good in our bodies and appreciate our bodies kind of from the inside out? Do you think, or I guess, like, to what extent do you think all of this is about patriarchy and the male gaze? A lot of it. I mean, so much of our media and our ideals are designed by men. And um, even today, so I write about something called the technological gaze, which is has elements of the male gaze written into it, which is back during second wave feminism, the idea of the male gaze is how women are expected to perform for the eyes of men, right? The perspective of men. 
And now there's something more insidious and I think internalized and self-policing and narcissistic, which is what I call the technological gaze, which is a machine-driven perspective. Because now we see ourselves on screens more mm-hmm. than we ever did when we were children and way more than our parents did. And you will look – if you look at the history of – um the growth of the beauty industry in the West and then subsequently the East, it really was born out of photography. So it was born out of us seeing ourselves. And so now we are seeing ourselves in a supercharged, hyper-modern time and constantly being shown the ideals of what other people look like, but the ideals for what how we could look better too on filters. Mm. The bold glamour filter, which came out in February and has already been used something like... 55 million times on TikTok. It's an AI tool that helped develop this filter that makes you look like a cross between a Hadid sister and Jessica Rabbit and a Kardashian and plumps your lips, slims down your jaw. Y'all have seen it. I'm sure your listeners have too. Arches your eyebrows, instantly does all the eye makeup. And um, these filters... We don't know exactly how they're made, but they are largely fed on data of what eyes, you know, what audience eyes view as desirable, right? So beauty standards of the moment get baked into our technology and our filters and the ways that we can try and upgrade ourselves. They're even built into like Zoom, touch up my appearance. There's a progress bar on Zoom where you can touch up your appearance. What standards are baked into those? Filters, like it tends to be what smoothing your skin. Uh-huh. Um, it tends to uh, slim down jaws, from what I've noticed. Um, and so, I just think we have to be aware <laughs> that our technology is constantly feeding us ideals too, and then we are feeding it back. It's this feedback loop because we are sh- we are taking photos of ourselves, and then or getting those Lensa apps. To, to, so that we can see warrior princess versions of ourselves. Those, the Lensa app is the AI images that you got. You probably saw them around Christmas 2022 when, um, a lot of your friends were putting kind of AI images of themselves where they look like paintings on yes. Instagram. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so that's another example of something that's an element of the technological gaze. So the male gaze is part of it because men are the ones who program a lot of these algorithms, but they've, it's gone way farther than that because at some point this advanced math is not even understandable by the people who originally came up with them. Mm. Um, I was listening to an interview with the CEO of TikTok and he's like, I can't actually explain to you why you're shown what you're shown. I mean, I have a general idea of how these algorithms favor, you know, A and B over C or D, like when you're shown various videos. But as as technology advances and these algorithms get more and more um, personalized for you, that's beyond what the original programming was doing. And this is important because what we see so often is ourselves, is other people, is what other people look like. And then if we are only shown a certain range of thinness, or if we're only shown a certain range of beauty or ideal beauty, then it's harder and harder for us to have preferences that are beyond that echo chamber. Mm. And it's hard to break out of it too. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, like once you kind of I feel like we're so passive when it comes to what we're shown online. 
And it's hard to be like, oh, okay, I'm going to really diversify my feed because it does take active work to do so. That was a lo- also a long way to get a burger about the male gaze question. <laughs> Shorten it. No, we like it. Yeah, we do like it. Uh, I kind of just circling back to TikTok and and what you were saying, and and I, I I'm so interested in like how we experience beauty culture now through social media, and you know, even like even things like de-influencing and like what seems like a backlash movement is also still kind of like part of beauty culture. In a way, I, I guess, like, I'd love to know what you're seeing. Because um, de-influencing is still consuming, right? Because yes. it's sort of like, this doesn't yes. work, but this does. It's, it's Yeah, it's different than the movement. You, I, it sounds to me anyway, uh, like the movement that you were talking about, the kind of rebelling against the, was against corset, the corset. Yeah, escape yes. the corset. Mm-hmm. Uh, felt like a real kind of like, almost like a burn your bra Yes, yeah. kind of movement, consciousness raising, right? Yes, yes, and I, I'm not sure if the same thing is even existing now on a larger scale. If it's more individuals, um, like, have you seen anything kind of like this happening, especially specifically in the U.S.? I wish I would see something similar yeah. in the U.S., but there have been there. I feel like there, we are having a much more affirmative or affirming conversation about bodily shame about diet culture, I think. Mm, I mean, yeah, at least yeah. diet culture is getting really challenged in many spheres. Um, I'm actually reading Virginia Soul Smith's book that just came out, Fat Talk, and it's That's excellent. Great. And I really feel like it's in conversation with what I've been writing about lookism. So I just <laughs> I haven't even mentioned lookism. Lookism add add another form of discrimination yeah. to the isms and the phobias out there. Um lookism is the term used to describe the appearance-based discrimination you see all over South Korea. And it's rather prevalent. It happens in classrooms. It happens on the subway. It happens everywhere. It happens where when you are applying for a job and you have to attach a headshot to your resume. Um, it happens when you're dating and you are rated on a series of specs. So the term specs is used to describe humans instead of devices. And those specs will include your bra size and your height and your weight and your skin quality and whether you possess a certain cuteness called egyo. And so um, appearance-based discrimination is another way that we can get bullied as well. And yeah. a lot of Korean women talk about how they started getting bullied in elementary school for, you know, they were often called, I guess it's a common insult, but they were often called ape and gorilla just for being wow. kind of hairy, I guess, or just having fuzzy arms because there's an expectation of hairlessness, which also is increasingly a global beauty standard. And that those those kinds of insults can last a lifetime. They can mm-hmm. really – they become political because they can keep us from showing up and speaking up and sometimes even leaving the house. And so we need to take appearance-based discrimination really seriously. Well, Elise, I'm throwing a lot at you. No, this is great. And for anyone who is interested in these topics, please pick up Elise's book. It's so great. It's so it's so well written because it's personal, so informative, so deeply well well reported, but also like engaging. So 
I just loved it. There's a birth story in there. There's a birth yeah. story. I mean, I had to just, switch there's, cab. A, there's an eight week old baby getting having a contraction. facial. I mean, there's just like, <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot. I know. We've, we've had this very heady sort of philosophy based, tech theory based interview, but really, the book has a lot of just absurd, funny. It does. It does. It, it does. Um, Elise, where can our listeners find you and hear more of your work? Everything is found at my website, elisehu.com, E-L-I-S-E-H-U.com. And since Twitter has taken a nosedive, mm-hmm, <laughs> I've been hanging mm-hmm. out more on Instagram. Okay. <laughs> at Elise W-H-O. Great. Well, thank you so much. This was thank really you, fun to get to talk to you. Well, I loved chatting with Elise. It was Me a freaking too. blast. Her book's fantastic. There's so much to think about, right? Like as we started off this conversation of this episode, it's like the tip of the iceberg. Totally. Totally. So definitely get her book if you're at all interested in these topics. Dory, I have to confess Okay. Well, first, let me just say that I did accomplish my intention for the last week of taking oh. breaks from my Apple Watch and also Fun. not tracking my exercise. So Ooh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. for example, I when I play pickleball, I always immediately turn on my little pickleball thing in the fitness mm. tracker and track my pickleball. Mm-hmm. And I have been practicing like the art of doing it, like doing a physical activity and not tracking it on my watch. Because I, I kind of think all these trackers are only adding to behaviors that I'm not like, they take me mm. out of the enjoyment, they make the totally. focus about something else. You get it. I do. So I, I did that one. And for my intention this week, I have to accomplish it in the next 24 hours, but it's to clean my office space. Oh. Mm-hmm. And I need to do this because you are coming into my office tomorrow. I am. It's yeah. true. Right now, there's no place for you to sit. There is a big jar of, of roasted peanuts that you could oh, eat out of, but there's really fun. no room for you. Yeah. So I got to kind of clean it up in here. Okay. Well, you know, truly don't feel like you have to like get very intense about your cleaning for my sake. Like really. <laughs> I'll clean my retainer. Let me start with that. I'll clean my retainer for you. (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Kate, this past week, I wanted to kind of like take stock because it's, you know, it was my birthday and I feel like I'm still in the process of doing it. So I, I I think that this is also my intention for this coming week. Well, I feel like you're doing a great job taking stock. Oh, thank you. Because you just, you took stock a lot in this episode, so. I did take a lot of stock, it's true. Yeah, I loved taking stock with you today. Mm -hmm. Um, Friendly reminder for everybody out there that this show, Forever 35, is hosted and produced by Dory Shafrir and Kate Spencer. It's produced and edited by Sam Junio. Sammy Reed is our project manager, and our network partner is Acast. And we will talk to you all later. Thanks for listening. Bye.